Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. All right, give your neighbor a high five and say, that's better. That's better. You can sit down. Sit down. We lo- I love this, this passage of scripture. Listen, this, this scripture was speaking of Christmas way before anybody, if there were Walmarts and Amazon, before any of that, before what we know as Christmas, before Santa Claus, before even baby Jesus in a manger. This scripture was declaring what Christmas is all about, about a man named Jesus who would come and set his feet on this earth and he would have a different kind of government. And the government would be rooted in relationship, that the government would be rooted and his identity and people understanding who he is. And this is the kind of government that Jesus came. When we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is God's government. We're talking about the way that God rules. So the government in the kingdom is not how you live. It's on who he is. And if you get the revelation of who he is, it will transform the way that you live. So we're digging these five titles that Isaiah gives us about Jesus, these declarative statements, these, these descriptions of the man Jesus. Now, when we focus on Christmas, a lot of times we like to focus on Jesus being meek and mild, right? We have songs about, you know, baby Jesus in a manger and everything just being all quiet and, you know, the children are singing and, you know, the, the lambs are, you know, making things. And we made this nice little pretty unmessy package called Christmas and we wanted to just be smooth, right? And we see in the midst of this story that it's totally different than that. The Christmas narrative is not really what we would call meek and mild. It is, but not in the way that you might think. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, the night that Jesus was born, where most of us are familiar with this, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flock of sheep. It's interesting that they play such an important part of this narrative as we speak about the great shepherd who is being born. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Everybody say, suddenly. suddenly. So they weren't even expecting it, right? Jehovah sneaky, boom. There was. Angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And a lot of times we think angel, but the angel's carrying something. The glory of God is on this angel. And they were terrified, How many know sometimes when you experience the Lord, it will freak you out? And so these guys are shepherding sheep. It's the middle of the night. They've been doing it for years. An angel shows up, but not just an angel, but an angel possessed with the glory of God. And it freaked them out. They probably thought they were going to die or something crazy like that. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Hmm. I'll bring you the gospel that will bring great joy to all. Everybody say all. All people. Now, the Jews thought that Jesus was coming for the Jews. God had plans for the nations. 
loved the Jews. But God came for the nations, the Jew first and then the Gentile. You say, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is someone who believes in Jesus that's not a Jew. So most of us are Gentiles. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. The one we spoke about, the one you know about from Isaiah, has been born today in Bethlehem, a city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth laying in a manger. Suddenly the angel, and this is where I want to focus today, suddenly, again, (laughs) an angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased or whom God's favor rests. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened that the Lord just told us about. Now, this is probably my favorite moment of the Christmas story. Not that the one angel shows up to the shepherds, but when he's there, all of a sudden it's like heaven is peeled back and we see the heavenly host. Now, Revelation talks about the heavenly host. And it says that there's thousands upon thousands, you know, not enough that we could recruit from the children's ministry to do a little demonstration for us. Thousands upon thousands of angels. And they weren't like these pretty little angels with the, you know, the little uh, uh, wire hanger coming up and the little, you know, stuff around there and a little, maybe a little flashlight on there to gouge some wow. No, these weren't pretty little cherubs that were, you know, babies that were naked and no, these, these were warring angels. They were angels that were fighting wars for eternity. They were the angels that God created that said, you will be an angel. You will be my heavenly host. In other words, you will be the army of heaven. Now, the earth has had some pretty awesome armies. Maybe you've seen movies like Braveheart or you've seen some war movies like Saving Private Ryan where you have like these soldiers and we think, man, soldiers are awesome. Now, we can do pretty good at humans of creating armies, but God, when God creates an army, it's a mighty army. So this army is there in heaven, thousands upon thousands, possibly millions of angels are there. I mean, can you imagine how overwhelmed the shepherd must have been? Why were the warring angels? I mean, why couldn't it have been just, you know, like a UPS angel, right? Hey, and that's what the first one was. The first one was a messenger angel, but the other were warring angels and they were worshiping. Who were they worshiping? They were worshiping the Messiah who was born in Bethlehem that day. They were worshiping someone who was mightier than them. Because we only worship that which is mightier than us. Someone who is greater than us. And Jesus, the great champion, the great warrior, the great mighty one, the one who is mightier than all the demons of hell, that is mightier than all the heavenly thousands upon thousands, born in a manger that day, mighty as a baby. So they worship him. See, he is our champion. He is the man of war. He's not some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, European, eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. 
hate to screw up your, your, your little card that you sent out, but he is not just this little tender little, oh, baby that has no power. Scripture describes Jesus as a man of war, that he has fire in his eyes. Full of passion, full of zeal. Can I tell you today, he is our hero. He is our champion. So when Isaiah said this, he said, he will come. Mighty God. He is mighty. He is mighty. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus says this, all authority. Everybody say all. If you got your Bible, if you're taking notes, write all. All authority has been given to this man. Jesus, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. See, Jesus possesses all authority. That's a lot of authority. All, you say, well, the heavenly father. Listen, when, when Jesus was sent, Jesus was given the kingship of the nations. Jesus is the ruler of heaven and earth. Jesus, mighty Jesus, meek and mild, eight pounds, six pounds, baby Jesus is the ruler of all. See, his strength prevails against any force or foe. He is the greatest fighter that has ever lived. He cannot be defeated. His strength doesn't fade. He's not looking forward to retirement. And see, part of the reason why the Jews rejected Jesus is they thought his might would look a little bit different than Jesus. Because Jesus was more zealous for a people than all the people than he was just specifically for the Jews. See, the Jews thought that when Jesus came, it's going to be like his second coming, that he was going to come with a sword. Instead, he came with a staff. Come on. They thought Jesus was going to come with a sword and slaughter their enemies. But instead, he said, you know what? I'm going to come meek and mild. And I'm going to, what is meekness? Don't, don't confuse meekness with meekness. Meekness is simply strength under control. How much more mighty is this man, Jesus, who has so authority? How mighty is that? That you have all the power and you say, I'm going to be born like a baby. In a place where sacrifices are born. Talk about authority. You know, you know you have authority when you don't have to assert authority, right? Have you guys ever met somebody that had to remind you that they were in charge? That's a pretty good indicator that you're not in charge if you have to remind everybody you're in charge. Jesus didn't have to remind anybody he was in charge. He just showed up and he was born in a stable. He holds all power. Understand this, that when Jesus came on the earth, he came to demonstrate his might. Yes, his love. Yes, we're going to talk about that. But his might. He came to flex his supernatural muscles. He came to show us how powerful he is. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says, I, Paul's praying. He said, I also pray that your understanding of the greatness of God's power for all of us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above. Here you go. Now he is far above any ruler 
or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Jesus possesses eternal power. His power will not end. His reign will not end. His kingship will not end. He will rule forever. That's good news. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Check this out. This is such a good part. For the benefit of the church. Listen, God gave Jesus all the power, all the authority for those that would say yes to Jesus, the church. You say, who is the church? Overflow church? No, the church is the people that have said yes to Jesus, that have responded to the sacrifice that God gave us in Jesus. That's the church. And he came, this mighty man. God endowed him with all power. The Father gave him all the power. Why? For his church. For you. For I. That's who he gave his power. What kind of power? How mighty is Jesus? We're going to talk about mighty Jesus today. Everybody say mighty Jesus. Everybody say almighty Jesus. Number one, he is mighty over Satan. Everybody say over Satan. You got the not today Satan shirt? Can I tell you today, not ever Satan, because Jesus is mighty over Satan. I got the little emojis on here from Pastor Brooke, because she loves when I use those emojis. So uh, I figured, well, I got to make those. If it makes Pastor Brooke happy, maybe it'll make somebody else happy too. So anyway, check this out. First John chapter 3, 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, Pastor. The devil's on the loose. That's fear talking. I, I mean, the devil's on me. I don't know. That's, the, that's fear talking. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. See, the devil holds no threat to King Jesus or those that belong to him. No threat. You guys have seen this arm wrestling pick on, on a, something? Y'all seen that before? It's so stupid. It's the stupidest thing ever. I mean, really, like the only place the devil has in this picture is like under the shoe of Jesus. This is the stupidest thing. There's like, this is all over the internet. Like, he's saving his image, isn't that powerful? No, it's not powerful at all. It's like a misrepresentation. There is, there is, listen, understand, there is no rival for Jesus. The devil is not Jesus' rival. There's no rival. There is no rival. There is no equal. We sing songs like that. There is no rival. There is no equal. There is no one like Jesus. No one is mighty like Jesus. Let me tell you how much authority the devil has over you. Let me show you. Right here. That's how much authority the devil has over you. Donut. Donut. That's how much authority. Zona means zero for those of you that don't read Urban Dictionary. <laughs> zero. Donut. So you know what I think we should do? And let me get this clear, and I, I say this a lot, and that's okay. I'll say it again. If the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. Let's just be real. Come on. The only reason why the devil's attacking you is because you pose you are a threat to him and his kingdom and what he's doing on the earth. Right? And you're working for God now? Come on. 
So when he's attacking you, you know what you need to do? You just need to remind yourself, go to the shop and get you a donut and be like, that's all right. That's what the devil do. (laughs) What are you going to do when the devil's attacking you? I'm going to eat a donut. So, just another day, just another big old zero. Come on, you want a donut, baby? Finger licking good. I love how they put the donuts in these little bags. You deserve a donut. (laughs) Awesome. Every time I see that, I'm like, yeah, I do. (laughs) I deserve like 11. (laughs) I'll save the other one for my illustration. But for real, the devil has no authority over you. None. Zero. Donut. No authority. Dang, that was good. There's a man by the name of Smith Wigglesworth who was a, a revivalist and uh, phenomenal. You want to study someone who like really had a, a good relationship with the Holy Spirit? Study Smith Wigglesworth. He's a great guy. We'll study Jesus and then study Smith Wigglesworth. And Smith Wigglesworth saw, like, for every day of his life, saw a person come to the Lord, like, saw people raised from the dead, all kinds of crazy miracles. One night, Smith Wigglesworth is laying in bed, and he, and he has, it like, he wakes up with kind of this presence filled the room, and he looks over there on the side of his room, and it's not a demon, it's the devil himself sitting in Smith Wigglesworth's room, and he goes, oh, it's only you. And rolled over and fell back asleep. Beloved, that, that is the kind of confidence that we have to understand. That Jesus is mighty over the devil. You don't have to be afraid. I, man, I, I, I've seen people be so freaked out. Oh, man, I hope there's not, hope there's not demons in my house. I hope I, when, guess what happens when you show up? I hope there's no demons there. Those demons better hope you don't show up. We had a, a thing happen. Uh, there's this uh, a, a spiritual son of mine. We, uh, we, I got a phone call one day. I was in the office. We were living in El Paso. And uh, this guy called me. His name is Quincy. And he's like, hey, hey, you need to come over here. I was like, what's up? He's like, my girl, we, we went and watched this movie last night. She's like acting like she's possessed or something. So I was like, okay. Um, all right. So I was a little bit kind of tripped out. So I called, I tried to call somebody just to go with me because it's always wise to take somebody with you. And so I called up Squashy and I was like, Hey, Squash, let's go over and let's, uh, let's go squash some demons. He's like, Oh, so we pick, I pick up, I pick up Squash and we get in my car. We, we start playing some, some worship music or riding over. We start praying. I pray, Lord, I pray those demons will leave that apartment even before we get there. And we go and we knock on the door and we walk in and Quincy's there. And he, I was like, What's up, man? What's going to happen? He was like, Oh, uh, bro, you wouldn't believe this. He's like, oh, he's like, you wouldn't believe it. He's like, when you knocked on the door, everything changed. And it, listen, I'm not, I'm not boasting of myself. And he said, she's in there asleep now, totally at peace. He's like, everything changed when you guys knocked on the door. Now, why did that happen? Is that because I prayed a whole lot or, or because I did some kind of like seance or something or read, like memorized some scripture on the way over or even worship? No, it's because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And when I show up, demons have to flee. Listen, you don't, when you wake up, you don't fear the devil. When you wake up, the devil fears you. 
Would you understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Will you say yes to that? I love Acts 10.38, life verse. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all, all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Listen, because God is with you, you will see sickness fall off of people. Because Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and sickness, and this isn't saying that you're of the devil if you've got sickness. Sickness is a work of the devil. That's why sickness doesn't have authority in you. And we're not putting you down. We're saying, hey, let's let's believe the Lord. Let's go after healing because it's what Jesus provided. Jesus came to deal with that. Come on. Oppression. All that stuff, done. So he's mighty over Satan. Number two, he's mighty over sin. Come on, big sins, celebrity sins, your sins, my sins, our closet sins. Come on, the sins that are in here that we're thinking about. Come on. But more than that, he's mighty also over the power of sin. Because, see, sin will control you. How many of you know you just say yes to it one time, and the next thing you know, man, I'm in it again? How many of you have ever been free before, and then it just took one time to get Jack back up? I've been there. Next thing you know, oh, dang, I was free of this last week, and then I said yes to it. John 3.35 says this, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything, here it is again, in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Tell my voice is great. E, eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Well, that's not very nice, right? With God's wrath. Listen, you've got to understand something. When God set man up in the garden, there was no evil in the world. When God placed us here on the planet, there was no sin. There was no evil in the world. Sin entered, sin entered the world, Scripture says this, through one man, through Adam. And you've sinned, and we've all let's, let's have a Let's have a raise of hand to who hasn't sinned. Okay, just making sure. Because I don't want to offend anybody. But... Jesus, you got to understand something. Because where there is evil, how many want evil eradicated? Why doesn't God get rid of evil? Because people keep saying yes to it. There's so much evil in the world. Yeah, because there's people. And people are evil. People are sinful. We're evil. We're sinful, but we're not. No, we're evil. Scripture says that without Jesus, we're at at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. Before Jesus, you were God's enemy. Will you get this? So God, perfect in love, is also perfect in justice. And if he's perfect in justice, then he must also be perfect in wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is punishment for evil. So God had a choice. 
Well, if I want to get rid of evil, I'll get rid of all the people. That would solve it. Right? No, but what God did is he said, you know what? I'm, I'm, there, something must pay for this sin. My wrath must be demonstrated towards sin. And so what God did with Adam, Adam had made these little, these little underwear out of fig leaves. At the end of the day, he had to make new ones because they weren't any good. And so what God went out and God himself went down and found a sacrifice, found an animal. Listen, killed an animal instead of killing Adam. God loves people. Well, that wasn't very nice. God had to deal with the sin somehow. It was very nice. So God said, I will kill. Instead of wiping men out, I'll take care of this one animal and create a permanent covering for Adam. This is a picture of Jesus if you're not there yet and you're thinking. So what happens is God creates a system called sacrifice. Okay? And there's this event that would happen called atonement. And what atonement meant is basically something else would pay for the sin that a person committed. Okay? So when we sin, when we commit evil, listen, two things are affected. First, the direct effect of evil, the relationship is broken. Right? But there's also an effect that happens outside of that. How many know there was no death on the planet until Adam sinned? Well, then everything started dying. Why? Because when we sin, it don't just affect us. It affects everything. So you have the direct effect of evil, and then you have the indirect of evil. So what, and, and listen, Romans 10, 9 says this, the wages of sin is death. So something's got to die for sin. Something's got to die. So God created this system called sacrifice. And in the sacrifice, what would happen is they called it atonement. We call this substitutionary atonement. Everybody say substitutionary atonement. There you go. You're a theologian now. And so what substitution atonement means is that something else dies instead of you dying for the sin that you committed. So the priest in the, under the old covenant, they would have these animals. They were actually animals that were raised for the purposes of being a sacrifice for people. Kind of like that steak you ate yesterday, but not for your sin. They would, the priest would lay hands on that animal, and the reason, part of the reason why is because life is in the blood. So when that animal died, it died as a substitution instead of the person dying. Something died for you. When Jesus came, he was mighty enough to die as a substitute so you don't have to. But it tells us this in Hebrews that Jesus was the final sacrifice. He was the last sacrifice that ever had to be made for sin. You don't have to make sacrifices for your sin. Nobody has to die for your sin because Jesus already did. Listen, anything the devil has done, Jesus has already undone. 
The wickedness that you have committed has already been done, dealt with at the cross. You have to say yes and believe that that was a good enough sacrifice. See, Jesus is mighty over sin. He took the sting of death. Y'all all right? So you, well, God, God's not very good. There's so much evil in the world. Let me tell you how God, how good God is. God looked over there at his son, Jesus, in heaven, because they were there always. God the Father looked at Jesus, God the Son, and he said, listen, before the world was ever created, he said, these people are going to screw up royally. They're going to sin. And someone's going to have to pay for that sin, son. See, someone had to pay for your sin. So you know who did it? God did it. Jesus said, listen, the wrath that God demands, the judgment that God demands for sin, Jesus fulfilled it. He said, man, I, I've wasted my life. I've blown it. Listen, Jesus took the brunt of it. Jesus dealt with your sin at the cross. Is it good enough news for you to believe in? That's how mighty this man is. He says, son, you'll have to do it. So Jesus came and he suffered. He died. He bled out. Come on. But not only that, he stayed in the grave for three days. And on the third day, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not just going to deal with this sin thing. I'm going to deal with the death thing. So I'm going to defeat. I'm going to take their sin. I'm going to put it on the cross. They're going to put me in the grave. I'm going to take their sin to the grave, and I'm going to leave it there. I am the resurrection and the life. So I'm not just going to, and we, we've put it this way before, I'm just not, if your bank account's in the red, I'm just not just going to get them in the black. I'm going to make a deposit. And some of you, you think God did that. Oh, yeah, because of Jesus. Now I'm not in the red anymore. I'm in the black. Woohoo! Great. That's awesome. But he didn't just do that. He made an investment. He put like thousands upon thousands of dollars in your account. Unlimited resources. All right. So Jesus is mighty over your sin that separates you from God, that breaks the relationship. But there's another part to sin. And that is this, that sin also has residual consequences. So what the priest would do is for, with that blood on the Day of Atonement, they would take that blood and they would go into the temple and they would sprinkle that blood everywhere. They call that purification. They would sprinkle the blood. Maybe you've seen pictures of that all over that temple. And they were saying, not only is, are, are the sins of the people, but also the results of sin that would affect the land will be healed because of the blood of that lamb. And so Jesus didn't just deal with the sin that got in your way between your relationship with God. He also dealt with the effects of your sin. Listen, he is not into damage control. He's into damage repair. He's in the restoration business. He's not into damage control. Oh, I just, I hope they don't, I hope they don't mess up their life. I hope, I hope, I hope. No, he, he removes the damage. He repairs the damage. 
So all sickness, all, a result of the fall. Shame, Adam went and hit himself, result of the fall. Depression, result of the fall. Sorrow, result of the fall. Emotional issues, insecurities, mental issues, physical issues, spiritual issues. He came to deal with it all. He came to deal with it all. He came to deal with your sickness. He came to deal with your dysfunction. Beloved, he loves you. He didn't just come to get you in right relationship. He's, he's not withholding. He loves you. And he is mighty over every issue in your life. He is mighty. So number one, he's mighty over Satan. Number two, he is mighty over sin. And number three, he is mighty in our situation. He is mighty in your situation. I love Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we won't fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we won't be scared because God is our refuge and God is our strength. Says this in Psalms, it says that God is the strength of his people. He is your might. You want might in your life? Let God be your might. He is your might. You know, a lot of times we look at our situations and we, 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 we victimize ourselves to it. Now I get it. I, I get it, right? You got the pizza you ordered. We ordered a cheese pizza for Uriah's birthday yesterday. It was terrible cheese pizza. I still ate it because pizza's still pretty good. Even when it's bad. And so this cheese pizza, it was the most pitiful cheese pizza ever. But I ordered it. I got what I ordered. I didn't know it was a pitiful cheese pizza or I wouldn't have got it. It's pretty bad. Wasn't it pretty bad? Pretty bad. It's still pretty good though. You know, pizza. It's pizza. <laughs> Ain't nothing you can't cover in cheese and sauce that won't make it better. Right. But listen, your debt, your marriage issues, come on, your kids' issues, your health, the emotional baggage you carry around, all that stuff, all the pizza you ordered. Come on, let's just be real. We got ourselves in this mess. Most of the time, we're in the mess that we got ourselves into. So you can play victim to the mess, go, oh, I just don't know what's happened to it. Or you can own up and be like, it was me. God like walks in and he's like, who screwed this up? It was me, I did it. He's like, all right, I'm going to clean it. Listen, he is mighty in the mess. He is mighty in your mess. And I believe in miracles, even if you screwed it up. He is mighty in the mess. There's just no way. I I hear this all the time. There's just no way. I've lost all hope. That's the devil talking. Who are you listening to? Listen, what did Jesus say? With man, Matthew 19, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Listen. He is mighty to clean up your mess. But I messed it up, and I've got to pay for it. Nope, Jesus paid for it. 
We've already talked about that. Well, the devil hates me. Jesus is mighty over the devil. Well, it's, it's my mess. I, I, I got to take responsibility. You just tell God, I made a mess. And he goes, all right. I hear I come to clean it up. It doesn't mean that there won't be some process. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult at times. But let me tell you today, my God is mighty in the mess. He is mighty in the mess. He's mighty in the mess that I've made. He's mighty in the mess that other people have made for me. He is mighty in the mess. He's mighty in the mess, and he's mighty in the distress. He's mighty, and that ain't changing. See, Jesus sees impossible situations as opportunities to demonstrate his might. We look at impossible situations and we go, man, God, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know. How, how God, how's, how's there going to be some kind of solution to this? You know what? When, our, when we look at our situation and we say it's impossible, Jesus is going... What I'm going to do is going to let me let me get my hands on it. Let me flex my muscles. Let me demonstrate my might. See, there is nothing he can't do. His arm is not short. Again, Psalm 28.8. The Lord is the strength of his people. And he is mighty in your mess. And I don't know what your mess is. You say, well, pastor, you, you don't. You, you've never been through. I, I don't. I don't know. But I do know one thing. He's mighty. And I, don't want, I know one thing, he's, he's more powerful than, than anything, and his, his strength isn't running out anytime soon. He's not like at his vacation home in heaven going, well, you know, when I get ready to return, then I'll deal with business. No, he's looking, and it, and it says this in uh, First Chronicles, it says his eyes are looking to and fro the whole earth to look. Let me read it. Second Chronicles 69 says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, throughout the earth. He's looking. He's going, let's see. Is there a situation that I can fix today? Is there a heart that I can mend today? Is there someone I can reveal myself? This is what he's doing. His eyes are looking. He's not looking like this. We talk about that. I used to teach. Sometimes people walk in the room late and I'd be like. He's not looking at like, you know, when you look at your kids, you give them that look. Or you look at your spouse, you're like, you know the look? He's not looking like that. He's looking like this. Who? Who? Where? Where's one? Where's one? And this is what it says. The eyes of the Lord look, run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, mighty on behalf of those who are loyal to him, whose hearts are committed to him. God, it's a mess. My, my mess. My mess. It just, my, I just don't know what to do. And he's like, I'm just, I'm just looking for someone. I'm just looking for someone that I can flex my supernatural mighty muscles for. I want to show my glory. I want to reveal how powerful I am. So when Isaiah prophesied mighty God, this is what he was declaring. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to close with this. We're going to, we're going to take communion together. Are you all good with that? We're going to go ahead and pass out the elements while I'm reading this. Because there's, there's life in the blood. There's not life in this little thing right here. But, but when we take this today, we're remembering that Jesus paid a price for us. Can I have one of those? My man, thank you, sir. 
We're not going to take anything yet. We'll take it together. Just get it in your hand. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were dead because of your sins. You were as good as dead, right? We talked about that. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. In this way, so good. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. It's like he took their weapons away. That's what he did. He disarmed them. They have no authority. They have no power. He took away, disarmed their spiritual rulers and authority, and he shamed them publicly. You know who gets the shame for your sin? The enemy. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, Jesus paid a very high price for your freedom. I love it that when I was 18 years old, I'd had enough. And I was like, Lord, I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of running back and forth. Lord, I've made it. I've really done some stupid stuff in my life. And if something don't change, there are going to be some pretty serious results for my actions. The sins that I've committed, the life I was living. But said under teaching, kind of familiar with today about that this man, Jesus, came. He came to take the punishment. He came to pay the price for my sins. And you know what I did? Finally, after two years, I said, yes, Lord, I'll accept what Jesus did.